So this morning we learned a, a number of things about first fruits. We learned about the uh, basic practice of it in ancient times. We learned about uh, how the, the synagogue today would practice it. We learned something about its prophetic meaning, and we began to learn something more about how Yeshua is the fulfillment of first fruits, just like he's the fulfillment of all of the holidays of Israel. We also learned something else about first fruits that is consistent with all the other holidays, and that is that God gave them to his people as a means for, well, to achieve Lador Vador from generation to generation, instruction from generation to generation that one generation learns from the last, continues the practice, builds it into the generation that comes after them, and so on and so forth for all of the generations of Israel. I do find it very interesting that with uh, the people of Israel, even those who are atheists, who believe nothing at all, that still, even amongst those Israelites, you will find that they remember their father Abraham. They remember the patriarchs from generation to generation. Isn't that exactly what God promised Abraham that his children down to the thousandth generation would still, to a certain level, be walking with God. It's really quite a wonderful promise. It's a promise that's made to us also. You look at what Yeshua did, Philip stole part of my thunder there, where out of the graves, after Yeshua had risen from the dead, so also you had many others who rose from the dead, went into Jerusalem, and many saw them. This was not something that was a secret. It was something that was written about, that was noted. People were terrified by this because literally dead people rose from the graves. The first fruits from the dead. Just as Yeshua proved himself to have mastery over death, so he took from those among the righteous dead and he raised literally a tithe of the first fruits from among the people of Israel who had died and gone on before. That's all good stuff. It's all very exciting. We like hearing stories like this. But what does it have to do with us? And what is the instruction that God has for us regarding first fruits today? That's the real question. I want to return to um, the Apostle Paul and um, 1 Corinthians 15, though, before we go any further. And uh, my remarks will all be surrounding this theme that Paul sets up for us here. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, and going to verse 27. But now Messiah has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, Adam. For as in Adam all die, so also in Messiah will all be made alive. But each in its own order. Messiah the first fruits. Then at his coming those who belong to Messiah. Then the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all rule and all authority and power. There will not be any rule, any authority, any power other than that of God. 
For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection underneath his feet. Now I pointed out this morning that some have uh, read this as a mere statement on the proper order of the resurrection. That is to miss the point I I would uh, submit to you. Uh, Actually in this statement Paul is telling us that it is not merely that Yeshua was the first to rise bodily from the grave, but that by so doing, he is the direct fulfillment of the Feast of First Fruits. He is the fulfillment of this holiday, as he is of all the others. So this is the ultimate meaning of Sfirat HaOmer then. The... Uh, The call to count up the Omer to that day of Shavuot when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all of the disciples. Um, It speaks of the greater harvest to come as disciples are made who go forth to further make disciples. Those latter disciples then going forth and replicating what those who discipled them taught. You see, this is where we begin to get to the nitty-gritty of what God is speaking to us about this holiday. Because if we're looking at this as something where we can be a spectator, just watching from the sideline and cheering for our team and say, go team, then we're wrong. Because each of us has a part to play in this holiday and in making it occur. I've oftentimes said regarding the book of Acts, if you read Acts 28, it seems like it ends rather abruptly, that it doesn't end. It's the book without a conclusion. And I have an idea why that is. I think it's because the book of Acts is ongoing today. The acts of the disciples are happening today, just like the acts of the disciples were happening at the time that the, that the writer, the historian Luke, was writing the book of Acts. And so each of us has our own place to play in this story, our own chapter that we're to write that's going to be in the book of the Acts of the Apostles that will go down through all of history. Every person in this synagogue who knows the Lord Jesus should, in fact, be a minister. Now, ministry may take many forms. And it doesn't mean everybody's a pastor, everybody's a teacher, everybody's an evangelist or a prophet or an apostle. But it does mean everybody is a minister in some way. If you're leading a prayer group in your home and you are faithful with it, then you are serving as a minister. If you're teaching the children and you're raising up the next generation and preparing them to take their place, then you are a minister. If you're going out on the streets and you're sharing your faith, you're sharing your love of Messiah with others, then you are a minister. And this is what Yeshua is trying to get across to us in this. You see, it's all about going forth in our generation to share the Besserot, the good news of Yeshua, crucified, dead, and buried but then resurrected from the dead, proving that death has no power upon him. 
Because he is God incarnate, perfect, sinless, and he has power even over death, not the opposite. By his power and in his name, the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, we also have power over death. There was one person came up to me today and told me a story. And, you know, they asked, what am I supposed to do about it? And it had to do with a, a dear individual who was obviously demon-possessed and suffering horribly. And I took him to Luke 9 and Luke 10, and I said, look, read this, read this, read this. And the story is that in the name of Yeshua, we have power over all principalities. Now, it's kind of hard to exercise that power if we're not living for Yeshua, if we're living for ourselves, if we're being selfish, if we're living in ways that are particularly unholy, if we are crossing boundaries that should never be crossed, then of course we're going to be rather powerless, much as the sons of Sceva were when they tried to take on a demon in the name of Yeshua who Paul confessed. It didn't work well for them. But listen, you see, this is for all of us. Because this is his Torah. His instruction to every man, woman, and yes, child who has ever followed him or will ever follow him. I've seen little children exercise amazing authority. Spiritual authority. And it's because they had such an awesome childlike faith in the king of the universe, the creator of all things. And in that childlike faith, they were able to exercise authority in the spiritual realm. Listen, look at yourselves. Yeah, you've got flesh. You've got nice clothes on. Look at this building. Yeah, it's very solid. I mean, this is real solid. It's cinder block. This ain't going anywhere. This building, this building was built in the year that I was born. It is as old as I am. 1958, I found the blueprints for it. And it's absolutely amazing. I'm standing a building that's as old as I am. This thing ain't going anywhere. It is solid. But you know what? Nothing is forever except for God and those who are with Him. So I've got a question for you. Why in the world are we acting like this is so important? Why? This really isn't that important. What is important is getting out and doing the work that God has given us to do taking his good news to all because this is certainly not permanent. God has given us what? 70 years, maybe 80 if we're strong. And then after that, all will see death. All. Means me also. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. What was Yeshua's instruction? We like talking about instruction here. We like the law. We like Torah. 
Are we really keeping Torah, though? Because remember, Torah is not just the first five books of Moses. It is the instructions of God, all of the instruction of God. And so Yeshua gives a direct commandment here. It is a direct commandment, and do we follow it? I'm asking you that because it perplexes me, because I think some don't for whatever reason. Maybe they don't really believe, and so they're hedging their bets. Maybe they're too embarrassed, too, because, gee, I might look like a fool if I actually admit I believe in the big man in the sky. Maybe there are others who don't want to do it because they're afraid of offending a friend of theirs. Well, considering that there's only one way to heaven and one way to get right with God, and that is through Yeshua, then should we really be concerned about offending a friend who doesn't know him if in our love for them we're trying to help introduce them to the God of the universe. Hmm. Maybe we're offending our friend to hell. So in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Yeshua commands, go therefore and make disciples. Of who? Of all nations immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all I commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So go and make disciples. That is his commandment. This isn't the only place he speaks that. Either in Acts 1, 1 through 11, we read from Luke, I wrote the first volume, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach. That was the book of Luke, the first volume. Up to the day he was taken up, after he had given orders by the Ruach HaKodesh to the emissaries he had chosen. To them he showed himself to be alive after his suffering through many convincing proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now while staying with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which he said... You heard from me, for John immersed with water, but you will be immersed in the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, not many days from now. So when they gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? To which he replied, it is not your place to know the times or seasons which the Father has placed under his own control. But you will receive power when the Ruach has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and through all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After saying all this, while they were watching, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. While they were staring into heaven as he went up, suddenly two men stood with them in white clothing, they said, Men of Galilee, why do you keep standing here staring into heaven? Good question indeed. I think some of us are staring into something other than the eyes of our Lord uh, as he has called us to go and do some serious work for him. But the message that they had for him was this Yeshua who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he's going to return. You remember the story that he gave 
about the rich man who uh, had much and he gave to his servants a certain amount as he was going away for a long time and he expected them to do good things with what he had, he had given them to take care of. And so the first one went and invested what he'd been given. He'd been given five talents and, and he made five more. And so when his master returned, the master returned to this one servant coming to him and saying, Master, you gave me five talents. I have produced five more. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now enter into your master's pleasure. The second one had been given two talents. He produced two more talents with his investment. And the same thing happened. There was one, though, who was a lazy servant, did not do his job well, and um, perhaps didn't care to do his job well. He'd been given a single talent. What he said was that, I knew you were a hard man who reaps where you did not sow. And so what I did was I took your talent and I hid it in the ground. Here is what you gave me. And the master said, you wicked servant, you say that you knew that I'm a hard man who reaps where I do not sow. Then why didn't you go forth and invest this and at least give me back interest on what I gave you to invest? He called him a wicked servant and he cast him out from himself. Now I wonder if we looked at ourselves as being among those servants and we looked at precious humanity that is all around us as being those talents that God gave us to invest and to do something with and to build from, if we would be as lazy in our proclamation of the gospel as I think we have sometimes been. I want you to consider that. Because every one of those precious souls out there is longing, hungering for something better than what they have. And ultimately, the only thing that matters, it's certainly not wealth, it's certainly not fame, it's certainly not how nice the duds are that we wear, how great the wheels are that we drive. None of those things can suffice because at some point we're all going to die and all of us are going to see hardship at some point too. It, it's just a matter of life in this fallen world. So the thing that really matters is Yeshua who died and paid the price for our sins and the sins of all mankind for all those who would put their faith in him they will have eternal life. But how are they to know if someone isn't sent? And how are they to know if the one sent doesn't go? Because he just hides it away like the one wicked servant did. Luke 10.2 and he was telling them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, big, beg the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, that's the same passage where he sent out the 70. And what was the instruction that he gave the 70? To go and preach the gospel in all the cities and towns where I'm going to be visiting. 
preach the gospel, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. Now that is spiritual authority, folks. And that's what he's talking about. Are we going to go forth and do what he's called us to do? Which is to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. Now look, this wasn't the twelve you understand. This wasn't the twelve that uh, people like to gloat over and say, wow, these guys were really something. Well, yeah, I guess they kind of were. In God, they were really something, you understand. Without God, just like us, they really weren't all that great. Even if they were very smart men and could be considered great in this world, what does that mean? Precisely Baptist when it comes down to it. What is it that all the chemical elements in your body are worth? You're worth about $1.92. Did you know that? Now, you're worth far more than that because what's of real value is not the chemical elements your body are made up of. What really matters is the soul inside because that's what lives and that's what lives on forever. And that's what God is interested in. Daniel 12, 1 through 3. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since the beginning of the nation until then. But at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Anyone who thinks that it's only in the Brit Hadashah where everlasting contempt is spoken of simply has not read the Tanakh of God. You see, Scripture is replete with understanding if we will receive that understanding that God created the heavens and the earth for a purpose. That in His sin... In their sin, Adam and Eve, who were made like the viceroys over the creation that God had given them, almost like a lesser king to God, the high king. But what they do with that that God had given them? They bowed the knee to Satan and therefore turned it all over to him. No wonder the world is a mess. This is why in Adam all died. And it's also why God put on human flesh and walked on the earth because it's only by a man and through a man but not a man like us sinful and wicked and inconsistent and unreliable. But Yeshua that all are going to be brought back to life. That the very creation that God gave to man to start with will be returned to God. Because in Yeshua who paid the price, all those who come to Him are in essence bending the knee back to God and inviting God to take back, to take control 
over what he gave us to start with. That's why in Romans 8 we read that the creation itself is crying out for the day of the children of God. But so all, all the people of Israel would be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine. Listen to this, hear this. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavenly expanse. And he defines them in the next sentence. Who are those who are wise who will shine? It is those who turn many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. You see, this is the promise of first fruits. We're no longer subject to death. We really aren't. Oh, this body may die. But we live forevermore because, you see, we're really a spirit enwrapped in this body of flesh. But it's the spirit that matters. And we live forevermore in Him. There is no death that we face ever again. Why do you think the martyrs of God were able to demonstrate such courage in the face of death? Such courage. Because they no longer feared death. You know, it's amazing what you can do when you no longer fear death. As long as you fear death, you're always going to be hindered. You're always going to be hampered. You're never going to be able to rise to the fullness of what God has called you to be, what God has called us to be. But when death is conquered and we no longer fear death, wow! We can go forth in His name boldly and we don't worry about anything. We've got more important business at hand than to worry about what might or might not happen and when it will happen. Yochanan in his apocalypse, the apostle John mirroring Daniel's apocalypse tells us in Revelation 12, 10 through 12, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the anointed one, the Messiah, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown out. And here's the operative sentence right here. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even in the face of death. That's the promise of first fruits. Yeshua rose from the dead. He absolutely is the fulfillment of the holiday. And in him, we too have power over death. We don't fear anymore. Colossians 1.24. Let's talk about this because many have had a real problem with Colossians 1.24. They look at these words of Paul and they say Paul is being awfully arrogant here. Claiming something for himself that only belongs to Yeshua. Actually, he's not. Actually, he's helping us to gain understanding of what our purpose in this world is. And by the way, did you know you have purpose? Every one of you has purpose. Every one of you has purpose. 
You were not just some slug crawled out of the primordial ooze at some point and slugged your way up onto dry ground and then through a series of events that nobody knows how it happened because it's absolutely nonsensical. There's absolutely no proof to back it up. Through evolution, you changed and suddenly became this wonderful creature we call a human being. That's not how it happened. And you are possessing a far more grandeur and glory than that silly nursery rhyme story allows you to have. Because God created you. And He created you for His purposes. And for His glory. And He invites you to share in the work that He has undertaken to see this world brought back into right relationship with Him. Everybody in the world. And to see the creation returned to where the creation should be. Mankind has sure made a mess of this creation. We haven't really behaved as the stewards that God would have us to be. And now he's inviting us to take this creation, to work with him in making the creation what it should be. And that starts with every man, woman, and child being brought to a knowledge of the God of the universe. Because as you see... You see, as much as all the other creation can be beautiful and worthwhile, there's nothing more beautiful and worthwhile than the soul of a human being who has come into contact with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is where we begin. So in Colossians 1.24, Paul makes this statement, Now rejoice in my sufferings for you and in my physical body, For the sake of his body, Messiah's community, I fill up what is lacking in the affliction of Messiah. Oh my goodness, Paul, what in the world are you saying? That you in some way make up for what Yeshua didn't do? No, that's not what he's saying. It's not what he's speaking at all. Yeshua said that when I am lifted up, then I will draw all men unto myself. Now, that was a statement that said two things to us. One of the things it said was it told us the manner of his death, that he'd be lifted up on that Roman execution stake, that he would die. But it also made an observation about the effect that will have on all who saw it. That there would be so many of them who would recognize what was happening to them and they would respond to it in faith and turn to Him and put their faith in Him. Especially when it was proven He had mastery over that death just a few days later when He arose from the grave on first fruits. 
And sure enough, faith in Yeshua exploded after that day. All of those who had walked with him, they were convinced, they understood now. All those who were somewhat peripheral, they too were convinced, they understood. And they went forth and they preached the good news and people responded by the thousands and they went forth and preached the good news. So here's the point of that verse. Filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Messiah. Do you realize that God is calling all of us here to also fill up in our own bodies what is lacking in the afflictions of the Messiah? It's not just Paul saying that about himself. He said that about all of the people of God. Every one of us should be filling up in our body what is still lacking in the afflictions of the Messiah. So what's lacking in the afflictions of the Messiah? It's very simple. Messiah died back in that day, somewhere around 30 of the common era. He died. He was taken into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that we, in Him, become the body of Messiah, His body. So my question to you is this. How is it that each new generation sees him lifted up so that they can come to him, so that they can turn to him as they see the love of God demonstrated in sacrificial love for them? Well, just as it, it was in his body then, so it's in his body today. His body today is somewhat different than his body then, though, isn't it? He's not a single man walking this earth, is he? Not anymore. He's walking this earth and all who have put their faith in Him. And it's in this body, that body, you, that the world is given the opportunity to see the love of God and respond to it. Who are the martyrs going to be today? who are willing to die the martyr's death so that the people of today can see Yeshua lifted up before them. Look, this is happening all over the world. It's happening in Red China. It's happening within the Islamic world. It's happening in North Africa. It's happening within certain areas of Central Africa. It's happening within India. It's happening within other places of Southeast Asia. It's happening in North Korea. It's happening in Venezuela where governments who hate God rule and they persecute the people of God. And you know, it's amazing. The congregations of our God are growing fastest in those places. Isn't that amazing? The congregations of our God are shrinking here in the United States. Why? I think we've had it easy too long, perhaps. And I'm not begging for persecution, believe me. But I do want to see the glory of God fall upon this planet. And the glory of God is going to fall upon this planet when His people, filled by His Spirit, go forth and do the work that He's called us to do. That's when it's going to happen. It won't happen until then. And each of us has been called to play a part in it. Isn't it amazing how Messiah really has 
fulfilled all of the holidays, how he is such a central part of all of the holidays. So follow me here. So he was born on the first day of Sukkot. It's what I believe, and I believe there's ample evidence for it. He was born on the first day of Sukkot. So when was he named? The eighth day of Sukkot. What is the eighth day of Sukkot? Isn't that amazing? Well, back in those days, Shemini Yatzeret and the rejoicing of the Torah, Simchat Torah, were experienced on the same day. And so on the day of the rejoicing of the Torah, that's when he was named. And you think of what it says in John chapter 1. Turn to John chapter 1 with me. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him and apart from Him nothing was made that has come into being. In Him was life and the light and, and in Him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overpowered it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. How did God create the world? He created the world by His Word. God spoke and it came into being. So we talk about Yeshua. He is the Word of God. He is the one that through God, that God through Him created all things to include you and I. And He was named on the very day that we rejoice in the Word of God. Then he was crucified. Just before Pesach began. Remember, they were trying to get him off the cross and into the grave before the holiday began. Then what happened? So he died then, that's Passover. And then first fruits, he arises from the dead. The very day of first fruits. And then on Shavuot, he sends his Holy Spirit through whom he empowers us and gives us authority to go forth in his name. So we've covered all the major feast days. You know, there's one thing we haven't covered that's very important to the Jewish people, and that's Yom Kippur. So when's he going to return, do you suppose? I believe it'll be on Yom Kippur. The very day when the books are sealed and one's fate, as you might hear in Jewish circles, is decided. But I believe it's on Yom Kippur in that awful time of Jacob's trouble when the people are crying out and they've come to a point of desperation. And they've seen that all their arguments to the contrary have been for naught. They've seen that they don't have the power that they need. That God is not with them at that moment. And at that moment, they do something that Yeshua prophesied they would do. And they cry out, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and the Lord returns! And the battle turns Israel's direction at that point. I will tell you, I believe that there will be some of us in this congregation who will be there in that day. Who will be there in that day ministering to the people in their time of greatest need. 
I believe it will be because of the courage of those. It will be because of their knowledge of God. It will be because of their love for the people, their willingness to even give their lives to do the ministry that God has called them to do in the midst of war and the horrors of war, that the eyes of all Israel will be opened. Now look, folks, this is what first fruits really means to us then. Because you see, it's great to look at what it meant to the people back then. It's great to look at what it means in the basic instructions in Scripture, what it meant to the prophets. But folks, we are the ones that the prophets foresaw. The people of God standing up and doing what God has called us to do. I will tell you this though. It starts with having a knowledge of Yeshua. Without a knowledge of Yeshua, there is no walking with God. And so I want to close with this. Just a couple of verses. In John 3, we read these words. For God so loved the world, verse 16, that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. It is a promise. Do you believe this promise? That is the question that God asks each and every one of us. Do you believe this? Yeshua asked his disciples, who do men say I am first? And then he said, but who do you say I am? So he's asking all of us that. You see, it's not just his disciples. He's asking us the same question. Who do you say I am? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. The one who believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has been condemned already because he has not put his trust in the name of the one and only Ben Elohim, the Son of God. Romans 3. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are set right as a gift of His grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua. So all of us have sinned and fallen short of His glory, but we are set right through the one who could set us right, and that is Yeshua. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. You see, He didn't die for us when we were good, when we were someone that maybe to a powerful figure, that powerful figure could find useful. No, He died for us before that because He loves us, because He cares for us. 
Romans 6. For sin's payment is death, but God's gracious gift is eternal life in Messiah, Yeshua, our Lord. Yeshua told his disciples that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And he's saying these words just before he's to go to his death. Once again, giving the illusion of the seed that falls to the ground that in essence dies as it begins to grow, as it split open, as the taproot goes down and the stalk comes up. He became that seed that fell to the ground and that grew up. And in his growing has made it possible for us to come alongside him and work with him. Because he died for our sins and in that we were forgiven and we become the righteousness of God in Messiah through him. And so the question is, who do you believe he is? Who do you say he is? And if you say you believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, then it leaves you with a choice. Are you going to serve him or are you going to ignore his commandments? And so there may be someone here who has never come to faith in Yeshua. And I'll tell you, this is where it starts. It starts right here in the house of God. Judgment begins in the house of God. It doesn't begin elsewhere. It begins in the house of God. And maybe you've never come to faith in Yeshua before and you'd like to do that right now. And prepare yourself for the work that God has called you to do as He has called all of us. And so if there's anyone who would like to come forward and receive Yeshua and to be part of the body of Messiah and doing the work that God has called us to do to change a world that desperately needs serious change, look around you. The turmoil? Is this really the way God wants this world to be? Oh, I don't think so. So anyone who would like to come forward, I want to give a moment for you to do so. Because this is the day that true life begins, that real life begins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, I'll tell you. After the service, if you would like to, please come forward. Um, talk to either myself or Philip or Zach. And um, let's dialogue about uh, what Yeshua might be calling you to and how he's going to take you and use you in order to bring about his great will for this earth. But anyways, as Paul said once again, but each in its own order, Messiah the first fruits, and then at his coming those who belong to him. 
And this remains consistent for every generation of disciples of Yeshua. He is our first fruits. Peter, James, John, and the others were the first generation of the fruit of Yeshua. And as they went forth and made other disciples that are also the fruit of Yeshua, they became a first fruits of sorts. That includes us. Where are we in those generations? No one can precisely say. But we who call on His name are also His disciples, tasked with going forth and bringing in the fruit that Yeshua foresaw would come with every new generation. As people respond to His message of righteousness, and yes, of love, and become disciples of Yeshua. Indeed, Yeshua is the reason for this holiday. The one who calls us to His service, our King, Redeemer, Savior, and our very life. He is the first fruits who alone brings life and gives life. We are called forth in His name as His called disciples. We're to labor to bring forth the harvest of this generation. Remember the analogy I gave of him being lifted up and that in each new generation there must be those that are willing to be lifted up that the world can see him and respond to him. And then we labor to bring forth the harvest of this generation, always remembering He is with us always, even to the end of the age. There was an interesting word that came forth this morning. Uh, Amber, are you back there? Can you come up forward, please? I wanted Amber to share this again because I thought it rather remarkable. Coming on this day of first fruits, it spoke loudly to me. I want you to understand something. I was nearly completed with this message before I heard of this word that Amber wanted to speak. And I thought, wow, thank you, Lord, for confirming, because I really believe that it's confirmation for us of what God is doing with this congregation right now. Please. Uh, could you turn on this microphone just to my left? Thank you. Uh, I'm pretty much going to read the same thing I read earlier today. Uh, I've been having an evolving or recurring, uh, continuing vision for this congregation for the last few years that started when I wasn't even here regularly. We stepped aside and went to another town for a while, and now we're back. Um, God um, showed me the next piece of it on my drive home Wednesday night. I used to think that the people here were starving, um, but now I see something else. They weren't starving, they were seeds. And like eggs that have a yolk, the seeds have a storehouse of energy inside the plant that it eats, the plant eats and grows on while it pushes through the soil up to the sun and sends a taproot down to the water. God was watering the seeds while they grew. Now I see bees, bees moving from plant to plant, pollinating, which means that the seeds, which I once thought were starving, have grown and blossomed. 
The next step is pollination, and the flowers will close again. When they open, they will be fruit with new seeds inside them, and those new seeds will be scattered away from here. I don't know how long this process will take. If the watering and the blossoming took five years, producing fruit could take five more. I don't know the timing, only the process, and right now I'm seeing bees. Amen. Amen. This is where we're at. We've come through a lot in this congregation, and many of you have been here longer than I have, and so you realize even better than I do just how much this congregation went through. It didn't die. Rather, the seeds made their way into the ground and they grew up quietly, silently, in harsh conditions even. And as they grew, they produced fruit. They produced other seeds. The bees have taken the pollen, they've pollinated and cross-pollinated in other fields. Seeds have been carried away on the wind into other fields and they have grown also. Now, wherever we are in that process, each of us is called in his service to go and make disciples. We're called to spread the word. We're called to water and preserve and nurture that seed, that new growth. And then we're called to go forth and harvest when the time is complete of its growth, only to plant again for the next harvest season. This is what we've been called to. And this is the promise of first fruits. My last word on this is, let's see the promise of first fruits realized in this body this year. Amen? Amen.